Moving on, moving on. Welcome to SVU Pod, especially heinous. I'm Gabe. I'm Tasha. I'm Tasha. We, uh, yeah, we are on. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We are on season six, episode five, Outcry. Outcry. Two construction workers are talking about how one of them took his kids to the Statue of Liberty and they're walking through the site. And he's like, yeah, I totally went there, too. The nose is like four meters. They hear some bottle rustling or whatever. One of them says, we're going to have to, quote, run a bum out of the building. When they go over to where they heard the sound, they find a girl tied up under the bench. She's crying and saying, please don't hurt me. And it's that one chick. I forget her name all the time. Amanda Seyfried. Okay, this is fucking Karen from Mean Girls. I can't go out. (laughs) I'm sick. Boo, you whore. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> there's your cousins and then there's your first cousins. Like, no. Uh, she's a huge A-list actor. She was in Mamma Mia, Lovelace, Lamer's Rob, Big Love, Jennifer's Body, When You Wish Upon a Pickle, a Sesame Street special. Do you remember? She was um um Elizabeth Holmes in Dropout. I don't remember Dropout. Remember the fucking fake biomedic company? And she talked like this and Oh, I didn't actually watch it. Black turtlenecks. My- my friend was in that show. She was great in it. She played her therapist. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah we've had this. Oh, yeah, we've yeah. This. Yeah, I haven't seen it yet. I just haven't. It's good. But yeah, she's great. One guy tells the other dude to call for an ambulance, but he kind of hesitates, which is weird. And the other guy's like, dude, what are you fucking waiting for? And the other guy pulls out a paper from his tool belt and shows the other guy, and he recognizes the girl. Good thing he had the fucking exact article in his pocket. <laughs> Yeah. What? She's been missing since Friday. Her name is Tandy McCain. Cool, bro. Call an ambulance and then we can talk about it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Jeez. Either way, whether you like fill me in on the tea or not, she needs a fucking ambulance. Yeah. So obviously now it's a crime scene. We got Benson Stabler and they're being briefed by some officer. He tells Benny and Stabe that Tandy was found in the construction site of a new dorm on the Hudson University campus. So far, all the officer knows is that Tandy said she was raped. She's wheeled out on a stretcher by EMS. Her stepfather is there. This is Michael O'Keefe. Yeah, he's seen him in a lot of stuff. Another very recognizable person. Yeah. He was in Caddyshack. Well, he was he was Jackie's husband, Fred, and Roseanne. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. He had a, he had a beard. Yeah. He was in season three as a corrupt rapist cop. Okay. Mm-hmm. And he'll be back in season 17 in a couple of episodes, too. So here he is. Yeah. He tells the press to stop taking photos. He does not want her to go with the EMS. He wants to take her home and get her cleaned up because her mom's been worried to death. EMS tells him that Tandy needs to be seen by a doctor. Benson explains to stepdad that since Tandy is a minor, she has to be seen by a medical professional because it's part of the social service law. It's part of the law she's making up. Yeah. (laughs) And Stabler kind of side-eyes her. And I was like, is she lying? Turns out she was. (laughs) Tandy's put in the ambulance and she's fucking screaming bloody murder for her dad. She does not want to go. And he's fucking pissed that she has to go to the hospital. Benson tells him she's sorry, but it's what's best for Tandy. And then stepdad's like, we'll see about that. They're so mad. I I couldn't figure out why he didn't want her to go to the hospital. I mean, there's a lot of reasons why somebody who's just been traumatized wouldn't want to go to the hospital. I I just meant the dad. You'd think that the dad would. But yeah, you're right. Like, he's probably just like, oh, my God, she's alive. And there's an element of panic there, too, where it's like, I just want to bring her back to the little nest and pack her up. Yeah. And and I don't want to be separated from her again because who knows what will happen. Right. Yeah. 
Like, I don't want her to go to a cold, sterile hospital. I want to bring her home and put her in her comforter and her footy jams and, like, whatever else mm-hmm. makes you feel safe and secure. Yeah. I get that. He's not, he wasn't thinking with his logic brain in this yeah. moment. So Benson Stabler kind of just still hanging out on the scene. Stabler calls out Benson on that whole social service law she fucking pulled out of her ass. Mm-hmm. And Benson said it so Tandy would get examined instead of going home to wash away any evidence. Stabler tells her she crossed the line. It is so crazy what Stabler thinks is crossing a line when he fucking <sighs> just exists. Punching people, throwing cups, kicking. He's like, you, you used your mouth to cross the line. The fucking audacity. Yeah. You kicked a door open open and shot someone that was just on the other side without even blinking yeah. dude there is zero room he's in a tight little spot because there is no room for him to be fucking talking right now mm-hmm. you crossed a line she's like mm-hmm. okay oh i did did i see where that's rich yeah that's rich. that's rich that is buttery creamy rich is this french cuisine because this shit is fucking rich <laughs> french cuisine is traditionally very rich yep. okay <laughs> Yeah. Benson <laughs> Benson says Tandy isn't in a state to think for herself. She's too terrified. Stabler comments, so you're going to think for her? And Benson says, what else could I do? Fucking theme song. And bending the law is only okay when Stabler does it. It's basically what he's yeah. saying. Or he's that fucking ignorant. And he's like, this is crazy that you're doing this. And then when you call him out on it, he's like, whoa. <laughs> I don't think you see the importance of what I'm doing here. Right. Like, this is my ex in a nutshell. Mm-hmm. Cragen shows up at the hospital where everybody's at now. Benny and Stabes are waiting outside and there's tons of press. Cragen wants to know what happened. So Stabler starts filling him in. I like how Stabler like narked her out right away. He's like, <laughs> uh, Benson said something that wasn't true, dad. Yes. <laughs> You know? Stabler immediately spills the tea on Benny and says, well, Benson told Tandy's dad about this fake law requiring that Tandy be seen. But he does try to soften it by being like, hey, we did what we had to do. Mm-hmm. But Craigan's like, well, that's fucking great. Now the dad's telling the press SVU lied to him and deliberately ignored his wishes. Mm-hmm. Mm. And dad's also threatening to withhold the rape kit because he's fucking pissed. So now Craigan only wants Stabler to talk to Tandy. Benson has to wait for the mom to get to the hospital so stepdad and Tandy can cool off from the shit that she pulled. Did you have the dad on your radar for most of the episode? For a little bit, but it was so aggressively pointing to him that I was questioning it the whole time. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously, at first it was like, she can't go to the house. He was doing everything that a guilty person would be doing, but we found out about it too early. Yeah, yeah. But it could have gone any way, though. Like, that could have been the case, and then it could have been like, we're in love, or some shit like that. Yeah, I thought it was going to turn into, like, a long court thing, and then the mom was going to be all fucked up. Mm -hmm. Later, Stabler talks to Tandy stepdad in a pitch black hallway with only a sliver of natural light coming through the blinds. I'm getting more and more bothered this season, especially. I don't know why with how fucking dark it is. I can't adjust my screen enough to be able to see anybody's fucking face. I know I'm always like pressing the little sun button. I'm just thrown by their lighting choices. It's an interesting lighting choice. Nothing has harsher lighting than a fucking hospital. They're in a hospital. (laughs) Stabes explains Mm -hmm. to Ronald, Tandy's stepdad, that the rape kit would help them catch Tandy's rapist and that he's got to let them talk to her. He's like, you want that, right? You want to find the guy. All right, but I'm staying. Great. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Stay. Stabler goes in to talk to Tandy and Ronald goes with him. 
Tandy tells Stabler that she was going to a bus stop when some men asked her if she wanted to go to a party. She said no. So then they grabbed her and took her to some room. She said it was two or three of them, but she's not sure. It was dark, almost as dark as this fucking hospital room. <laughs> so she doesn't know what they looked like, but they had uniforms on. Stabler asked if she was kept in the same room since Friday, and she tells him yes. They told her if she tried to leave, they would kill her. And she was crying and stuff, and then she asked to see her mom. Mm -hmm. In the hallway, Benson is talking to Tandy's mom, Alice, who is very pregnant, mm -hmm. and IRL is a soap opera queen. She's just all over the soaps. Mm. If you're a soap opera person, she would look very familiar to you. Alice tells Benson that Tandy, who's in high school, was on campus taking an AP class over the summer. On Friday, she let her mom know she was working late at the library. And when Tandy didn't make it home, her stepdad, Ronald, went to campus to look for her around 11.30 p.m. Mm -hmm. The mom said that she then called the police at 4 a.m. because they weren't back yet. And Benson wants to know why she waited so long. Alice says she waited because Ronald was out looking for Tandy. Duh. Yeah. Alice wants to know why Benson's making things so hard for them and demands to see her daughter. Benny tells her they're just trying to help. Again, we know that they have to ask the tough questions and eliminate suspects, but mm -hmm. this shit would be super hard to properly manage your emotions in. You know, like if somebody's asking me things that would even hint at me when I've spent two days freaking out about my daughter and I'm pregnant and I haven't slept, just, mm -hmm. yeah, I would be a raging bitch. Mm -hmm. Back at the precinct, the whole team is talking case info. Benny's got updates on the rape kit. It was negative for fluids, but positive for spermicide, so condoms. Mm -hmm. Craigan wants to know if it can be proven that it was rape. Benson says that Tandy's thighs were heavily bruised, her hymen was torn, and she's a virgin. The hymen thing is a myth, right. by the way. Yeah. The construction guys that found Tandy let her clean herself up a little bit, which... They shouldn't have, but I get that too. Munch and Toots don't have much from CSU, and Toots said that campus security broke up a party in a dorm across from where Tandy was found on the night she went missing. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of army cadets taking summer classes on military leadership on campus. Uniforms. Mm -hmm. hmm. If Tandy was on the way to the bus stop from the library, she would have passed the Rochester dorm where the party was. So Craigan wants them to talk to the dean and everyone that was at the party. Cut to Hudson University. Benny and Stabes are talking to the dean. He will not release any of the names of the army cadets that were on campus unless there was direct evidence of their involvement. And he thinks Benny and Stabes are just jumping to conclusions oh, just because they're military guys, that's a stereotype that's really weird. Her statement also included dudes in uniform and they were at a party across the street. Like, yeah. Mm. Then the dean says that they have their own disciplinary procedures, fucking eye roll. Mm -hmm. And if a student committed a crime, it will get handed over to the cops, which is fucking bullshit. Bullshit. We all know that shit. And then Benny says that. <laughs> she brings up how campus quote, procedures are fucking bullshit and rape victims get intimidated and persuaded to drop charges all the time. We all know this. She says all that, but she says it like Zach Morris does on Saved by the Bell. She snapped her fingers and everything froze for a second and she looked to camera <laughs> and was like, you know what? We all know. Yeah. Don't be distracted by my two-tone shirt with spirals on it. <laughs> my hair looks like the biggest tsunami wave you've ever seen. <laughs> God, I'm full from all those fries at the max. My best friend has a perm and 35 buttons on his jeans. <laughs> He's also 42. <laughs> we know this girl's tough because she wears a leather jacket to school. I'm so 
scared. <laughs> okay. The dean says he's going to talk to the parents of the cadets or whatever and then ask them to leave the campus. Munch and Toots roll up as Benny and Staves are walking away from the dean. Toots tells them that a dude that works at campus security used to work for NYPD and he gave Toots the names of four students at that Rochester party that got broken up and I love that. They're mm-hmm. like, man, the dean's a fucking whatever. And <laughs> Toots is like, oh, this guy doesn't give a shit. Here. Yeah. So they're going to split up and talk to all these dudes. Now we have this like scene where we're jumping back and forth between all these guys. They're just like stopping them wherever they're at on the street, on the basketball court to question them a little bit. Just the way they kind of fucking roll up on anybody. Yeah. Munch walks up to one at an ATM. His name is Tony. (laughs) Munch shows him a picture of Tandy and asks if he's seen her. He says she was at the party in their dorm run Friday. Interesting. Benson's talking to another guy who's fucking chowing on a slice of New York pizza. He's got held in half or whatever. (laughs) He was fucking full housing that slice of pizza like the way I full housed when I was seven on TGIF. Yeah. What? I was trying. Well, I said full housing and then I was like full house, TGIF. Yeah. Danny Tanner. Mm Mm-hmm pass i don't know i don't know i was i just didn't understand but i like it okay well think about it jokes are funnier when you explain them we all know that (laughs) (laughs) step by step (laughs) (laughs) newspaper (laughs) okay go he says that Tandy had invited herself to the party and that Tandy said she was 21, then changes that comment to, quote, she acted like she was 21. How did she do that? Mm. That's what I want to know. Cut to Toots talking to another cadet, Joe. He says that Tandy was drinking, dancing, acting like she was having a good time. He didn't dance with her because he has a girlfriend. Toots asked him if there were any other girls at the party. Cut to Stabler speaking with the fourth cadet. He says there was a couple of other girls at the party, but he doesn't really remember their names. And he's packing up his car. Classic not stopping to talk to detectives. Mm -hmm. He says he didn't see Tandy leave. So then I'm I'm like thinking that maybe it's this guy because you're like, he's packing up. Where's he going? Why? Yeah. Because they found Tandy. You know, right. Stabler asked why he didn't contact the police and like put everything together when this girl was all over the newspaper and she showed up at their party. Just then Trevor Langan walks up. He's the cadet's lawyer. Stabler asks him if he wore his cadet uniform at that party Friday night. And Langan tells the cadet, fucking shut up. None of these cadets had more than a few acting credits. But this guy, O'Connor, I initially thought was a young Nick Stokes from CSI. Actor George Eads. Oh, yeah. So I just sent you a photo of the actor on the screen and fucking CSI dude, Nick Stokes. God, I just love men. I just love the way they're shaped. Jesus. (laughs) Just the shoulders and that But like, am I I wrong? No, yeah, he looks like him. Doesn't he look just like him? It really threw me. And at first I was like, I thought he looked like a young Matthew Fox. And then I was looking at Matthew Fox's photos, you know, dude from Lost. And Mm. I'm like, no, that's not right. And I could see this dude's face, George Eads. I could see his face. And it took me a long fucking time. And when I figured it out, the celebratory celebration that I celebrated, oh, (laughs) it was. (laughs) And then I was mad at you immediately because I'm like, if she says, oh, I didn't notice or "Uh," I'm like, I've got to go back and take a picture of this, of the screen. (laughs) And then I've got to send. Yeah. So glad we got that all tidied up. You precogged being mad at me and you were right. (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't let that excitement go unappreciated. Mm. I got high off of that shit. Is huffing Google illegal? (laughs) (laughs) It's not good for your heart, but... (laughs) 
the shit I've seen huffing googs, man. <laughs> Benson and Stabler meet up. They're going to go ask Tanya about why she didn't tell them she was at their party. Pretty interesting, hey? This just like made me go even more into It's the Dad. Yeah. So at Tandy's house, the McCain residence, press is insane. They surround Benny and Stabes as they pull up. There's a guy named Jamie that works for the ledger there. Stabler went to high school with him and he's like, hey, Elliot. And he's like, hey, Jamie. He asked Stabler <laughs> what new. <laughs> he asked Stabler what news he has. And Stabler's like, oh, you want to know the news? Go home. <laughs> they have a repertoire. <laughs> They're friends. Officers are stationed outside. Shut up. <laughs> what? <laughs> you just were like. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Did I <laughs> at your joke? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, did I gabe at okay. your joke? <laughs> okay. So a bunch of officers are stationed outside the house and let Benny and Stabler up the stairs. Ron, the stepdad, answers the door. Benson asks Tandy if she was at the party ron interrupts and says of course she wasn't I'm like let her fucking talk stepdad you're not even a real dad oh fucking stabler i know benson tells them that the cadets say that she was there tanya says she was not at the party and sticks with her bus stop story then goes oh why is everybody telling lies about me i wish you'd all just leave me alone and walks out of the room back at the precinct craigan's reviewing the case details with the detectives all four cadets say that she was at the party so tandy might be lying even so as benson has to fucking point out that doesn't mean she deserved to get raped the mm -hmm. crime scene still doesn't really have anything for them Craigan's getting upset mm -hmm. he has a press conference coming about all this shit and he needs something to give them stabler thinks they can use the press for that the press for the press he's gonna meet with jamie the journalist his old buddy that he saw outside at fucking tandy's house cut to staves and jamie sitting at the bar jamie's not a cop so he has a full beer stabler with the obvious <sighs> half uh this dude was in seven psychopaths the dark knight rises sneaky pete he's jamie berrigan in this episode but in season 16 to present he comes back as defense attorney mickey d'angelo oh Stabes asked jamie why they keep bothering her like what makes tandy big news when so many people go missing all the time jamie's fisting these fucking bar nuts get my nuts he's uh <laughs> Mom, he's uncle jesseing these nuts <laughs> <laughs> house <laughs> cut it out leave some nuts for the rest of us jamie Stabes asks jamie why they keep bothering her what makes tandy big news when so many people go missing all the time jamie brings up elizabeth smart and chandra levy they were young cute and fucking white jamie asks mm -hmm. why the sex cops are involved hinting at stabler giving him the tea that there was a sex crime mm -hmm. hmm, wonder why you guys were there and stabler throughout this whole thing is giving a lot of shrugs and i don't know jamie wants stabler to throw him a fucking bone about what they're looking into so he can help them scratch my back mm -hmm. i'll scratch yours stabler chooses mm -hmm. his words very carefully here and says they're interested in speaking with anyone who was at a party in rochester dorm on friday night jamie says he hears tandy was there partying he heard it from the cadets lawyers they go mm. back and forth saying off the record a bunch of times the same way junior high kids pinky promise each other <laughs> like that's all, that's all that is they're like off the record off the record mm -hmm. okay well off the record stabler lets jamie know 
off the record that you bet they're looking at the cadets for the rape. Back at the precinct, Cragen ambushes Staves on the elevator. He's pissed about the headline in the New York ledger. The paper shows two of the cadets on the front fucking page with the headline, student rape cadets questioned. It was written by fucking Jamie. Stabler tells mm. Craig and he didn't give Jamie any of that information, but doesn't matter. Now Tandy's been outed as a rape victim and two suspects have been named. Craig and doesn't want Stabler to talk to Jamie anymore so they can contain the damage. As soon as they step off the elevator, Toots comes up. They need to get to Washington Heights. A 911 call came in from one of the cadets' girlfriends. Oof. Swell that beautiful music yeah. footage. <laughs> yeah, that yeah, the music is fucking swelly as shit. Somebody just wrote a funny one on on the Facebook. No, or somebody or somebody something. messaged us. Hang on, somebody sent us a message and was like, oh, "I thought of a good one." <laughs> the music is Hudson Uni's corpse mascot just coming out of the river, absolutely <laughs> swollen. <laughs> Who was that? Swamp Gremlin on uh, Instagram. Mm. God, Hudson Uni, and it's a lot of Hudson University material in this episode. Oh, perfect. Mm, yep, this shit writes itself, or our listeners write it for us. Yeah. <laughs> so traffic is at a fucking standstill. Stabler and Toots are running through the traffic. Stabler is sliding over car hoods and shit. One of the cadets is laying in the middle of the street, and there's blood and the girlfriend is crying this girlfriend she played birdie the co in orange is the new black she's also in how to get away with murder and django unchained hmm. who's she in django unchained she's credited as a house slave mm. but she does have i mean the role you would know her if you saw a picture of her in context of orange is the new black she was one of the co's okay. little cute really um like stuck to her convictions about stuff mm. i liked her in that role okay toots asks her what happened joe that one cadet that said he didn't dance with tandy because he had a girlfriend mm-hmm he was on a walk with his girlfriend. People started to yell and call Joe a rapist because of the newspaper. Then a bunch of fucking people like chased him into the street and a fucking car hit him. Mm. And then the dudes that chased him just disappeared. The girlfriend is so upset and crying and wants to know why the papers printed his picture when he didn't hurt anyone. Ugh. Stabler goes over and checks for a pulse with no glove. I love that Alyssa made that note. <laughs> yeah. No glove. And gets Joe's blood on his hands. It's like a metaphor for having, by you know, having Joe's blood on his hands for talking to Jamie, you know? I didn't even catch that really blatant metaphor. (laughs) I'm really smart. (laughs) I'm surprised he didn't pause and look through the camera. Looks like I've got Joe's blood on my hands. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Is that, um, that's peanuts. (laughs) 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 the lips (laughs) emts come and take over joe's pulse is slow and they need to do a quote scoop and run and i hope he survives so at the precinct there's updates on joe stabler's sitting at his desk like forlorn craigan comes in and lets everybody know that joe is unconscious but is stable benson tells craigan to not blame stabler for what happened and Craig is like, I don't, but IAB might. Mm-hmm. Just then, the chief of detectives, like, that's so, f- I was like, there's a chief? Because Craig is a chief of that. Mm, Craig the captain. The captain, yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. I got confused. Just then, the chief of all detectives in the whole world shows up <laughs> and accuses Stabler of naming suspects to the press. Stabler says he didn't name anyone. They go to Craig's office. So, the chief, though, the yeah. chief is 
a Looney Tunes drawing of a bulldog in a formal yes. cop uniform. Mm -hmm. the, yep. you, he's the sex police softball team mascot. He doesn't even have to wear one of those big heads. He just goes out there and he's like, Don. <laughs> he was in all the heavy hitting shit of the 70s, including Gunsmoke, The Love Boat, Roots, uh, consistent in the 80s on shit like Golden Girls, Murder, She Wrote, Different Strokes through the 90s, aughts, teens, and now he's an Eight episodes of SVU over the years as Chief of Detectives Muldrew. He's the human equivalent of a bulldog. Yeah. Yep. I would let him lay his head on my lap and just <laughs> I would rub his belly. <laughs> I would carry him up the stairs because his little legs were not able to carry his <laughs> firm, round body. <laughs> Stabler says he didn't name anyone. They pop into Cragen's office. Chief of Detectives is like, sure, Jan. It's all a coincidence that the article source was someone close to the investigation. Mm. Meaning him, right? Stabler says that they needed a fucking lead. That's why he talked to Jamie. Cragen tells the chief that he let Stabler talk to the press and doesn't believe Stabler gave him any names. The chief says he would dump him back into uniform, but that would look like they were admitting guilt. So they have to back him up. We don't want to make it look like we're admitting guilt. So we're going to support something fucked up instead. Yeah, it's the better idea. Right. <laughs> then he tells Stabler he can stay on the case, but he can't have contact with the cadets and can't talk to the press. I feel like he's for how big of a deal this is. He's just like, you can stay on the case. And I'm like, what? I know. Why aren't you guys like really upset? You just said you make him a fucking beat cop again. But also Craig and believes Stabler that he didn't fuck this up. Stabler's like, I didn't say that. I know, but the fact that the chief is like, if it was up to me, I'd fucking fire you, but mm. I can't. So we have to back you up. Yeah, you can stay on the case, too. He literally got no rep. I mean, he didn't do anything wrong, but still. Yeah, no, I get like, it. They're acting like, it's, it's just weird. Stabler is pissed and walks through the squad room super quick and angrily, hot, sexily grabs his jacket. <laughs> Benson's like, wait, what are you doing? Don't, don't beat yourself up over what happened. <laughs> It's not your fault. Stabler thinks that he helped get Joe in a coma. Hmm. Benson says the press is calling Tandy a public figure, so she's, quote, fair game. There's nothing Stabler can do about it. And he says, oh, yeah? And then Benson's like... Ugh. Here we go. <laughs> That's Stabler. Stabler goes down to the fucking newspaper where Jamie works and coincidentally sees him walking right out the door. He's like, come here, you son of a bitch. He shoves him up against the wall and confronts him about the info in the article. He's like, you almost fucking killed that kid. And Jamie yells, I didn't chase him into traffic. Stabler gets more in his face and says, well, you made sure it happened. Jamie tells him he had a different source from someone who was at the party and his editor put two and two together. So he didn't say shit that Stabler said. Mm -hmm. And that it was obvious that Tandy was a rape victim since SVU was on the case. He's like, all you guys had to do is show up and we knew it was a rape. Also, they're having this conversation like, I can't believe you said this shit. Oh yeah, I actually said this shit and that's where I got it from. They are scream having this conversation <laughs> about this sensitive information yeah. on a fairly busy street. It's busy, yeah. It's fucking New York City. <laughs> People are shuffling all about and they're like, I can't believe you told anybody this is confidential information. They said this. Well, she was raped. Well, blah, blah, blah. It's the biggest story of the news <laughs> but this is a secret I know. jamie said he had to run with the story he has a job to do stabler fucking walks off but jamie's like wait i may have a lead and stabler is like huh? some guy that owns a bodega near the university says he saw tandy in the store saturday afternoon which is weird because she went missing on friday stabler asks why they aren't fucking splashing that hot tip all over the papers because <laughs> they gross 
I know. Well, splash that hot tip all over the papers, Daddy. (laughs) (laughs) Yuck. Anyways, Jamie says they check their sources and they can't confirm it. There are no cameras and the guy is a fucking weirdo. So Benson and Stabler go to chat with Fred at his store, Grumman's. (laughs) I don't know why I thought that name was funny. Grumman's. It's like something my mom would call underwear or something when I was a kid. This is his third of four appearances, which includes our favorite season one episode, Stocks and Bondage. Oh, God. And in this episode, he's talking like an elderly fox telling a story to his grandkids. He's like, she was standing right where you are there. He said to Benson. (laughs) He says to Benson, Tandy McCall. (laughs) She's like, yeah, uh, Tandy McCain. All right. She was in the store sometime between 4.30 and 5.30 on Saturday. He said she was sneaking around and hiding her face she bought a soda and a sandwich he has the receipt from her purchase behind his ear uh it's like here you go this is her receipt behind stabler's ear (laughs) fred Uh. says i was gonna say behind benson's ear and then i thought don't go for it tasha because it won't make sense not visually because you fucked up that full house joke earlier (laughs) no oh i threw you off no it's okay you only make me better (laughs) Fred says she seemed to be alone, but was jumpy. And Benson just walks away. Okay, bye. Stabler's like, hmm. Right said, Fred, you seem like you got it all together. You think you'd recognize her? He's like, well, I absolutely sure would. Stabler pulls the photo out of his wallet and Fred says, yep, that's her for sure. Stabler walks out of the store. Benny's out there calling the lab to check on any food wrappers or soda cans or anything that may have been found at the crime scene. She Mm -hmm. wants to see if she can match them to the receipt. As she gets off the phone, Stabes tells her not to get her hopes up. And Benson goes, oh, he didn't recognize Tandy's photo. (laughs) Benny, please. He recognized my daughter, Kathleen. (gasps) Do you even cop, bro? (laughs) Jeez, he went so hard for that. Well, I mean, <laughs> you cop, bro. First of all, he got a bunch of stuff wrong in just talking to him. I don't mm-hmm. think you guys were going to take him seriously from jump, but he's like, you know what? I just want to make him seem a little dumber. You recognize mm-hmm. this girl? Gosh, sure. I would recognize her anywhere. <laughs> After he took out his tiny little round glasses. <laughs> Deep in these woods? Hmm. I've been in this forest for quite some time, now, rascal. Now, if you'll excuse me, Frog and Toad are coming over for some afternoon tea. I'm going to murder and eat them. <laughs> i'm going to commit homicide the second you leave and then i'm gonna make some soup okay can we be fuck okay here we go we gotta go over to the csu lab csu judes goes over what they found with munch and toots there was a lot of trash but there was a wrapper for an egg and sausage sandwich which is what tandy bought at the bodega and toots mind is fully fucking blown it's like Mm -hmm. you can tell that from those little bitty baby baby crummies csu judes slaps him with the trash and she's like no dummy there's a label on the wrapper (laughs) just the levity oh you guys it was funny yeah he's like eye roll 
And also, you guys would do some fucking, we borrowed this technology from NASA shit and be yeah. like, yeah, we examined these crumbs and between the spittle and the fucking, <laughs> a can that matched the drink she bought was also found along with a roll of duct tape that matches what Tandy was bound with. So they're going to run it off of prints. Benny and Staves are now at the door of the McCain's apartment. Tandy's mom tells Benson she can't come in because Tandy's upset. Ron says the whole world knows that she was raped. There's a pile of reporters news cameras all that shit flashing from outside the windows so it's mm -hmm. a fucking circus over there ron blames svu for releasing the information but benson tells him they never name the victims or out them he says that she's already cooperated and told him everything she's got but they've got some new information that makes that seem questionable benson tells tandy's parents about the food wrappers and the bodega purchase and the duct tape with her fingerprints on it her mom asks if they think she tied herself up so Benny tells her that's why they need to talk to Tandy. They want to get to her before the press gets a hold of it and turns on her. Mm -hmm. Okay, fine. In her room, Tandy tells them that she doesn't know about any food. She was held prisoner. They want to know how she managed to escape. And she said she told someone she was hungry. So they took her to the store and he waited outside. But he told her that if she said anything, he would kill her. That's why she didn't tell them. They show her a photo array of dudes and Tony's in the lineup. She looks but doesn't answer and tells the detectives that the attackers said they know where she lives and they would come after her. Benson's eyes roll into the back of her head and she's like, I promise no one will come after you ever again. We will protect you. <laughs> yeah, I know. The, the bullshit demon came over her. Yeah. <laughs> she's like, ah, I'll protect you. <laughs> So Tandy's like, I believe you, and identifies Tony as one of the cadets that had assaulted her. Mm -hmm. Benson shows her another array, and Tandy identifies O'Connor. Those are the two that raped her. Stabler uh -huh. steps out to make a call and then calls Benson over into the hallway. Jamie, the journalist that Stabes was pals with, told him the news has something they would want to see. Do you think that this ruined their friendship? Jamie and Stabes? Mm -hmm. He's about as close with Jamie, the journalist, as Kathy is close with her cousin that works for Central Booking. So mm. I don't think it matters. Okay. Craig and Benson Stabler are at Channel 3 News. A dude has video footage showing Tandy drinking and dancing with the cadets at the party. They mm. say they're going to fucking air it at 11 o'clock this evening. Benson says that they can't do that because Tandy is a fucking rape victim. And then the guy says she's a public figure and it doesn't look like she's a victim. Excuse me. Craig mm. oh, threatens a warrant to seize the video since it has to do with an ongoing investigation and he wants to get an injunction to stop them from airing it the reporter is like this is censorship craigan calls it protecting a rape victim he leaves but tells benny and stapes to stay there and arrest this guy if he does anything with the video novak and some other lawyer from the news channel speaks with a trial judge the attorney representing the news channel is uh attorney lynn riff mm -hmm. remember she was judy king in orange is the new black nina sharp in fringe she's a reoccurring lawyer in svu hmm. Novak tells them that Tandy is a rape victim and needs to be protected. The news lawyer lady says that Tandy is a, quote, alleged vi rape victim and that the tape 
shows her fully aware she's being filmed. So, oh, yeah. Novak points out that Tandy was drunk and couldn't consent to being filmed, even if she was aware of it. Also, she's fucking 16, okay? No shit. Nobody's even bringing that up. Novak says that the tape is evidence and should be given to the police, not aired on the news. But the judge brings up the First Amendment and says it trumps all. He asks news lawyer if the tape was legally obtained, which it was, and she thinks that the public has every right to see it. Novak is like, whatever, this is salacious and not news newsworthy then she brings up that bullshit that happened with the andrew luster tapes where the news aired clips of mm-hmm. luster raping an unconscious victim google that shit it's a whole thing yeah and how whatever news thing got in trouble for that right i was gonna hit that for the chaser but there was like a couple other pretty blatant things i wondered that if you were going to but i don't know anything about it i had i googled it after yeah okay news lawyer lady says that the tape is of public interest because it shows tandy lied to the police she thinks everybody has a right to know all this shit novak doesn't know if the video was taken that friday or if it's been edited news lawyer lady says it's not been edited and they have the only copy the judge still says first amendment trumps all but wants the tape turned over to the police for 24 hours to ensure it wasn't edited Novak also wants the name of the person who shot the footage since they are a material witness. But mm-hmm. whoever shot the tape is protected by journalistic shield. So Novak can't have that info. And she's just like, okay, I'll take it. I'll, I'll, I'll take it. It's fine. Now we're at the Taru lab. Craig and Benson talk to some video lab guy. So the guy who filmed the party can be seen in a reflection in a mirror and they had to zoom in. Enhance. Yes. Craig is like, can you clean it up? And he's like, yeah, patience, which I thought was interesting thing to say to Craigan. The guy fucking was able to magically make everything clearer, which they can't seem to do any other time <laughs> with footage. Right. They're like, oh, it's too grainy. And this guy was like, oh, I got it. I'm like, what? Where are you in every other crime? Yeah. It's that one cadet that Benson interviewed, the pizza one, the guy with the pizza, full house and fucking... pizza chomp and fuck. <laughs> yeah. The Mary-Kate Dolson twins pizza. <laughs> His name is Luke Delvecchio. Benson calls him a real bottom feeder. In the video, you see Tandy leaving the room, but the footage also stops. So they bring Delvecchio in. He's in his pizza chomping blues, his little cadet uniform. Uh, he's all smug and says he didn't tell them before because he wanted to sell the tape. They tell him that counts as child abuse sexual content since Tandy's under age. Mm. <laughs> and Toots slaps his flip phone in Dovecchio's hand to call his fucking lawyer. Mm. Then Much and Toots go really hard in on this guy. They go really hard on this guy. They go hard on not in this guy. <laughs> they go hard Not in him. In. <laughs> Munch accuses him of following Tandy out of the party and raping her. Nuh-uh, cop. I went to go ask her if she was okay. She said she felt sick and wanted to be left alone, so I did. Toots wants to know why he didn't say anything after he saw that she was on the news. Well, he kept quiet because he could get thrown out of the cadets for giving a minor alcohol. He swears he didn't touch her and says that if Tandy says he did, then she's a liar. Benny and Stabes go to talk to Tandy's stepdad, Ronald McCain, at work, Tucker Construction. He insisted that Tandy's telling the truth, but Benson tells him about the tape. He still won't believe that she went to that party willingly, though. Ronald tells him the whole family is fucking struggling with this. Tandy was sent to her aunt's to get away from the press, and her mom, Alice, is on fucking pregnant lady bed rest from the stress of the case. Mm -hmm. He insisted Tandy doesn't sleep around and tells them that they don't know how it feels. The clouds fucking part and the warm beams of Stabler's favorite opportunity peek through. I get it. I'm a dad. 
warm beans. Ron brushes it off, which he doesn't know who he's in the presence of, but mm, okay. Staler then brings up that when false rape allegations are made, it's usually done after a consensual act is confronted by a boyfriend or parent. This pisses Ron the fuck off. And a coworker who we find out later is Ron's boss, this dude, comes over to ask if things are okay. Ron tells the dude, these detectives are just leaving and walks away. So Benny and Staves fucking take a hike and walk and talk down the street. Stabler thinks Ron is covering for Tandy lying. Benson still thinks that she was raped and Ron is trying to protect her. But Stabler is the best dad and knows if it was his kid, he would do whatever it took to find that son of a bitch who did it. <laughs> son of a bitch. <laughs> But, you know, Ron is the stepdad. Tandy isn't even his kid. Wow. Yeah. Do you feel that way about people that adopt kids? You feel that way? Yeah, no shit. Stabler. He's like, you're not her real dad and runs up the stairs. (laughs) Fucking full house. (laughs) Benson gets a call as they get in the car. The crime lab has some news. At the the crime lab, Cregan and CSU Jude explain the science that she's doing, which is just blowing iodine through a straw. They borrowed that technology from NASA. Uh, Anyway, boom. We got a big old handprint on a chunk of the sheetrock wall that perfectly matches Ronald, the stepdad. Mm. Stabler thinks this explains why he didn't want them talking to Tandy and why she didn't want to talk to SVU. But Cregan is puzzled by the fact that he has access to her every day at home, but dragged Mm. her down to a construction site to assault her i mean i get that popping up and i'm glad it's popping up for you but it's also like that's a very possible situation as well right they're gonna run a background check on ron to see if they can find anything benny and staves go to ron's work site and talk to his boss this dude is very recognizable from every police procedural law procedural he's been in fucking suits is what i'm saying shit (laughs) So he loves Ron. He says that he wishes all of his employees were as loyal as Ron. Benson asks if there's been any problems with Ron. This guy says that Ron had a heart attack about a year ago, so he took him off construction and made him foreman of the yard. And Benson's like, no, dude, like any problems with him and his behavior, maybe, or with the cops. Boss gets fucking pissed. He's like, Ron didn't have anything to do with this, if that's what you think, okay? Mm-hmm. What happened to Tandy has nothing to do with him, and he loves her as if it was his own child. Tandy's bio dad isn't in the picture, and when Ronald first started dating Alice, things were difficult with Tandy. There were fucking allegations of abuse. Uh, what the fuck? <laughs> what? Yeah. He's like, but like, you know, it's fine now. Yeah. Looking back at it, I'm like, oh my god, he's trying to fucking... Yeah. Cut to an interview room with Ron... Of course. Benson Stabler are in there. Ron says the abuse charges were crap. Tandy's bio dad, quote, put her up to it because he was jealous Ron was dating Tandy's mom. But Tandy is the one listed as the complainant. Cops looked into it and found nothing. And Tandy withdrew the allegations and it was dropped. She was a seven-year-old. She was seven years old, yeah. Benson asks him if he had been in the room where Tandy was raped and shows him the handprints that were found. He says that he wasn't in there and he works for a fucking supply sheetrock place and it must have been a piece that got sent to the building and Benson's like, sure, guy. Sure. What a coincidence. Which would be a real stretch, but like that's their job site that he's Mm. on constantly. Like his prints are going to be around that place. Right. Yeah. Stabler pipes up and says that Tandy's all grown up. His wife is pregnant. Hard not to notice Tandy. 
Ugh, and the music gets all swelly and Stabler thinks that Ron saw Tandy leave the party when he was out looking for her and he wanted to be mad but she was drunk and Stabler says oh come on she's a peach you, yeah. you're only her stepfather you took her in that room and you did what you always wanted to do what's the big deal Huh? Fucking Ronald punches Stabler in the goddamn face. Cold cocks. Fucking sandbags everywhere. Stabes got, I don't know if he shoved him off or if he got him back. Like if he punched him back. I don't think uh, so. Well, Ron like fell into the table while Benny was climbing over. Oh, it. yeah. Stabler did this weird like knee kick thing. It was weird. He like kicked yeah. his leg. But then Stabler's like, I might respect him now because he... <laughs> Just two dads, dad, and he physically bested me. We're mountain goats. <laughs> like, <laughs> what? <laughs> okay, so Benson shoots up and arrests him for assaulting an officer. Cut to a bar. Stabler's just fucking sitting there. Cragen bellies up. Cragen tells Stabler that Ron was released on bail. His boss signed the bond. Craig and wishes that they could have kept Ron longer when they looked into Tandy's case, but mm. Stabler says that if someone accused him of molesting one of his kids, he would want to beat the shit out of them too. So he does respect and understand Ron. Yeah. You're right. Stabler isn't sure that Ron assaulted Tandy, but he says that the media is running this entire case. They don't have any control over I it. I love the line mm. when he says, he goes, we're trying to catch the bad guys. They're <laughs> trying to make headlines. Yeah. So, yeah, he says that the media is completely running this case and that this is all his fault for talking to his journalist, buddy Jamie. The news station is playing at the bar. And oh, my God, you see fucking Tandy being interviewed. Craigan's like, oh, double take. Barkeep, can you turn it up? What? what? <laughs> Tandy says on TV that she made up the story because she stayed out late and was afraid she would get in trouble. She says the police made her made her name the men involved and that she feels bad that Joe was in the hospital. She just named these dudes because she wanted it to be done and she wanted to be left alone. Mm -hmm. Like when she picked out the pictures. Craigan is pissed and tells Stabler to arrest Tandy for obstructing the case and filing a false report. Stabler isn't sure that's a good idea and he doesn't think it's going to help anything. But Craigan says it's going to stop her lies. Daddy Craigan's fucking pissed. Get out of here. Mm -hmm. Later, the press surrounds the house as Stabler walks Tandy out in cuffs. Her parents follow her. They're like, no. And Stabler puts her in the back of the squad car. Her parents are like, no. What was that? <laughs> no. Back at the precinct, it is pitch fucking black in there. They're all holding keychain flashlights under their chins. Benson is pissed that Stabler arrested a rape victim. Craigan mm -hmm. tells Benson that she said she wasn't raped and they needed to send a message. Benny tries to stick up for Tandy, but Stabler defends the arrest, saying false allegations make it harder for people who are victims to come forward. Benson's convinced that Tandy was raped. She was so traumatized that she hid in a construction site for two days. To me, she's making a lot of sense here. She agrees that Tandy probably lied to them, but she thinks that she lied on the news as well, trying to make whatever it was go away. And is just like, I got to talk to this little girl alone. But Ron is there glued to Tandy's side. Mm -hmm. So Benson asks Stabler to try and get him out of the room. Stabler goes in because he respects Ron now. Okay. And he's like, hey, let's go to the observation area bud friend and he's like yeah and then they held hands <laughs> and they they walked over to the other side of the glass tandy's on the other side she's in the interrogation room pacing around just the flicker of ebenezer scrooge's candle is on their faces <laughs> <laughs> he's like here son go find me the fattest goose you can find <laughs> 
Stabler's good coppin' and gently brings up all the lies Tandy told and says, you know, she might be lying now too, Ron. If you don't have anything to hide, dude, you gotta let us talk to Tandy alone. Ron really doesn't want to put her through that again. But Stabler asks if he's afraid Tandy will blow the lid off their happy little family or what? Ronald says it was a fucking happy family. Tandy already had one father failure. He doesn't want to fail her too. Oh, he's such a good guy. And Stabler, mm, Stabler's like, we get each other. <laughs> I'm better, but we get each other for sure. Stabler tells him that the only way he can fail her is by denying the truth. Dude, my guy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, that worked. Benny brings Tandy to the interview room they use for children. It's full of stuffies and low to the ground tables like a kindergarten classroom. Mm -hmm. Clearly, the city of New York is experiencing rolling blackouts. Because it's dark as fuck in there, too. <laughs> Benson, it was so fuck. This this might be maybe sometimes I overlook it, but it was really annoying me for some reason this hmm. specific time. I didn't really notice. Oh, my God. It's just voices. It's just a black screen and voices <laughs> the entire time. Benson tells her that she must feel a giant weight lifted off of her shoulders since she went on TV and said the rape didn't happen. Tandy doubles down and states that it didn't happen. She made it up. Mm, a lot of victims say that. And then when it gets hard, they say they made it up. Mm -hmm. But they saw the evidence, the blood, the bruises. Tandy just needs to face it. Benny asks her what she's so scared of. Tandy's getting more and more upset during this time and tries to leave. Benson fucking blocks the door and asks Tandy if she's scared of her stepdad. Tandy's fucking screaming now. And she's like, I'm scared for him. I don't want him to die. Benny thinks she's getting somewhere about her being told that Ron is this bad dude. And she's like, Ron's not going to die. He's just going to go to jail. And this is when Tandy really starts freaking out. She goes, my dad never fucking touched me. I can't tell you who it was. She falls into Benson's arms and says... Her dad has a bad heart. The man that hurt her told Tandy that her dad would lose his job if she told anybody. Mm. And he would lose his insurance too. Bad heart. Her fucking mom's pregnant. Like, she can't do that. From the other side of the glass, Ronald realizes that the person who fucking raped Tandy was his boss and friend, Mike Tucker. Mm. Full bod chills. Yeah, because he was like, oh my God. And fucking Stabler's like, you know who it is. He's like... Yeah. Ugh. So they got to bring in Mike Tucker for questioning. Benny and Stabes are in there. Mike Tucker's in there. They're all wearing police issued coal miner helmets to see in this deep <laughs> cave of a room that they're fucking in. They're not even on the clock. They're just sp spelunking at this point. Yeah. <laughs> they're like, we're trying to find all the doubloons. <laughs> <laughs> Look at these stalactites. Those are bats. <laughs> wow. <laughs> They tell him Tandy accused him of multiple rapes committed at the construction site. Well, he denies being on campus. Lie. He called campus security to shut down the cadet party. Mm, no, I didn't. Uh, yeah, you did. Campus security reported that you were at your fucking on-site office. Mm -hmm. Oh, honey. This is the 1-6. They're going to do their due diligence here. So stop lying. Stop lying. He redacts it and says he's sorry. He did call campus security because they have issues with students messing with construction sites. Mike says that he's known Tandy since she was like eight and loves her like a daughter. It's disgusting that you're accusing me of raping her. 
And Stablers goes, "Mm, I'm touched. Uh, You still (laughs) raped her and then threatened to destroy her family if she told anyone. Benson tells Mike, she's fucking terrified of you. And Mike goes, she's terrified of you. I see what's going on here. You guys are trying to make anything stick. First the cadets, then her dad, now me. Who's next? Her fucking mom? At this point, I was like, this is fully you, dude. But he was playing it really well. Mm Mm-hmm. Novak talks to Tandy with Benson and Ron present. Novak tells Tandy that the defense is going to chop her to pieces. They're going to drudge up all the lies and story changes she's made during the trial. It's going to be tough, and she wants Tandy to be prepared for that. Ronald asks Benson what they should do. Benson tells them it's Tandy's decision. Benson also says that she knows plenty of rape victims that regretted not going to court and none that have regretted going. Win or lose. Benson tells Tandy that if she loses, at least she fucking faced her attacker and named him for what he is. So they go to trial. Tandy is cross-examined on the stand. Novak asks her why she lied about being at the party. Tandy says she knew that going to the party would upset her parents and admits to knowing that she falsely named the cadets as her attackers. She hoped that if she named someone that it would all just stop. Novak asks her what actually happened that night. The evening of her attack, she left the party because she was feeling kind of sick. She was walking around and Mr. Tucker saw her and was mad at her for partying. He said that he would show her someplace she could get cleaned up before going home. So he took her to the construction site. Then he told her that she looked sexy and how much she had grown up. Ew. And then kissed her. He then raped her even though she begged him to stop. Ew. 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 Then he told her if she told anyone, he would fire her dad and that stress would kill him. He raped her again and gave her $20 to take a taxi. Jesus Christ. She hid in that construction room for two days because she was ashamed. So Kressler is Tucker's lawyer. Mm Mm-hmm. He says he has no questions for Tandy because she changes her story so much. So who knows what she'd say this time? Novak is like, oh, my God, your honor. The judge tells Kressler to chill out. Kressler calls Stabler as his first witness. And they're like, "Okay." Kressler (laughs) asked what? I just like how you're like, uh, Kressler calls Stabler as his first witness. And they're all that one sketch of Pete Davidson. Okay. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) yeah. God, that's right. (laughs) He asked Stabler to explain explain false rape allegations and so he does he's like this is the dictionary version of i don't whatever Kressler brings up that 10 percent or more allegations are false which isn't true it's way less yeah it is stabler admits that he thought tandy was lying at some point during the investigation Kressler then brings up all the lies and then stabler admits that he arrested her for filing a false report then tandy told the truth and he's like oh sure now she's telling the truth Kressler says that they just wanted her to accuse someone because it's such a high profile case and they needed results even if accusing an innocent man and points at Tucker. Mm-hmm. Later, the jury finds Tucker not guilty and he's free to go. Tandy's dad hugs her and the detectives get up and leave. So outside the courthouse, press surrounds Tandy as she's leaving the courtroom. Tandy tells the press that she's going to go to school and get on with her life. They walk over to Benson Stabler. Benson says to Tandy, I'm sorry. Tandy says, don't be. You were right. I don't regret it. As they walk off, the press starts surrounding Mike and he's like, ah, I'm just a nice guy doing nice guy stuff. I didn't, whatever. And then mm-hmm. they walk off a young woman approaches Tandy to tell her thank you for not being afraid. This young woman is Allison Lewin. She tells Stabler that she wants to report a rape. She looks really familiar. Do you notice her from anything? Um, Yeah, she is Amy in The Walking Dead. That's it. Mm-hmm. I was like, I know that fucking mouth. Mm-hmm. I'd know that fucking mouth anywhere. <laughs> so yeah, this young woman is Allison Lewin. She goes, officer to Stabler, I, I want to report a rape. She tells him that it happened six months ago and she says her rapist is Mike Tucker. Detectives look over and see Tucker being interviewed by the press and fucking Toyota. So he's 
fucked. And because she did that, somebody else came forward, and I have chills right now. Yes, 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 yes. Toyota, toy fucking Yoda. Toyota. There are a lot of similarities to this story in the episode, but with a lot of creative edits. And this chaser actually comes up way, way later in SVU, but there were a couple things I'll I'll get to. I'll point it out one as we go through, but there's some very prominent themes in it that weren't in the episode. So I'm aware of that. Again, this is my opinion. What can go with it and what doesn't? Mm-hmm. All right. New York, November 1987. In the small town of Wappingers Falls, 70 miles north of New York City, 15-year-old cheerleader Tawana Brawley was fresh off being grounded. Mm. She'd come home at 5 a.m. after attending a party and gotten it bad from her mom and her mom's boyfriend. There were two accounts saying that he was her stepdad or her mom's boyfriend. So either they're long-term partners or they were married. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Given her freedom back, she decided to cut class and go visit her boyfriend, Todd Buxton, who was serving six months in jail. And went with Todd's mom to go see him. Mm -hmm. After the visit, Buxton's mom encouraged Tawana to get going home before she got in trouble. And Tawana said, I'm already in trouble and got on the bus. She did not make it home that day. It was four days later that Mm. Tawana had been missing and she was found in a grassy area behind the building where her family had previously lived. She was wrapped in a trash bag covered in feces, KKK and the N-word written on her torso. Her hair had been cut. Her sneakers were cut up with a razor blade. Her jeans were burnt in the crotch. Holy shit. She was in horrific shape. Tawana was immediately taken to be treated at the hospital. And when investigators came to talk to her, she was unable to speak. And throughout the entire interview only said one word, neon. The rest of the Mm -hmm. communication was done through blinks for yes or no. So she said that she had been kidnapped by four or six white men, taken to the woods and repeatedly raped and sodomized for those four days. Jesus. Tawana spoke to the press just a few days in, telling them that one of her attackers was a cop. This is when Reverend Al Sharpton, C. Vernon Mason, and Alton Maddox came into the picture. Those are three well-known civil rights activists, if you are unaware of those guys. They went right to her side. Their voices brought this to a new height of national attention. These three men were just coming off of the Howard Beach attacks the year before. So SVU pulled the Howard Beach attack story for the episode, again, with a bunch of liberties in it. But I'm going to take a hard sidebar to tell you about it as well before we go back to Tawana Brown. Okay. On Friday, December 19th, 1986, 23-year-old Michael Griffith and three other black men were driving to Queens from Brooklyn to pick up his paycheck. It was the middle of the night when the car broke down about three miles outside of Howard Beach. So three of the guys, Michael, Michael's mom's partner, later her husband, 36-year-old Cedric Saniford, and 20-year-old Timothy Grimes decided to start walking to find a payphone. 20-year-old Curtis Sylvester stayed back with his car. The first thing they ran into as they walked into the mostly white neighborhood was a group of people giving them shit for being black and existing, yelling at them to leave the area. It's just a group of fucking racist teenagers. The guys continued on and made it to New Park Pizzeria at about 12.30 a.m. So they stopped there. They grabbed some food. As they left the shop about 10 minutes later, the same group of fucking teenagers that were giving them shit when they got to town were waiting for them with tire irons, baseball bats, 
fucking tree branches. They were ready to fucking hurt somebody. Fucking why? Like, I know. I can't. Okay. There were two that seemed to be the leaders of the mob, 17-year-old John Lester and 16-year-old Jason Ledone. Timothy Grimes pulled a knife and was able to get away, but Michael and Cedric were chased down. As Michael ran, he attempted to cross Belt Parkway and was hit by a passing car. <sighs> he was found dead in the street at 1.03 a.m. That's the part that was pulled for the episode. He was being chased down by a mob into the street. This happens. The cops later picked up a beaten within an inch of his life, Cedric, walking along the highway. It was clear that he hadn't avoided the gang of teens, but instead of providing him the medical attention that he obviously needed, police searched him and detained him for several hours of questioning. What? The mayor at the time, Edward Koch, called it a lynching and the number one case in the city. On December 22nd, the two leaders of the group, Lester and Ladone, along with 18-year-old Scott Kern, were arrested and charged with second-degree murder. Racial tensions were obviously insane. This is when Alton Maddox and C. Vernon Mason came in to represent the families, two of the men who would later be on board with Tawana Brawley. Reverend Al Sharpton, the third dude, led a 1,200-person march demanding that a special prosecutor take over for Queens DA John Santucci, which... Governor Cuomo agreed to and assigned Charles Hines instead. Just to try and wrap this part up, eventually 12 attackers were indicted, but witnesses wouldn't cooperate with the investigation, so there was only so much the prosecution could do. In total, nine were convicted of a list of charges, and most of them only served community service sentences. The three leaders of the mob were ultimately convicted in 1987 of second-degree manslaughter and first-degree assault. Cedric Sanford and Michael's mom were married shortly after losing him. And sadly, Cedric passed just a few years later in 1991 of AIDS-related complications. Mm. Jason Ledone, one of the mob leaders, was sentenced to five to 15 years. He was released in 2000. Then six years later, he was arrested on drug charges. Scott Kern was sentenced to six to 18 years and was released in 2002. John Lester was sentenced to 10 to 30 years, but was released in 2001. He was deported back to England, uh, where he was originally from, and lived a fairly normal life. He went back to school. He got married. He had kids. He often talked about the regret he had for what he had done. Not that that yeah. gives him great. He was a 17-year-old kid. He claims that he felt really, really terrible about what he had done and what it had led to. He died of a suspected suicide in 2017. So we're on the heels of that, all right? That is the Howard Beach murder. I've never heard of that. I know. So, But like how? Just, how have I never heard of that? I mean, I know, especially with like... Al Sharpton and shit. Those high profile... Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're on the heels of that. And these same three dudes, Reverend Al Sharpton, C. Vernon Mason, and Alton Maddox are back as the face of another huge nationwide story, Tawana Brawley. The shit was fucking intense. Throughout the investigation, this being so prevalent in the press, there were a ton of false leads because just like in the episode, the media was running this shit. Mm -hmm. A friend claiming to have been with Tawana, who actually wasn't, was a false lead. Others claiming to have information that led nowhere. There was so much leaking happening that investigators even started a false rumor about a nine-fingered man to see how long it would take before the press got a hold of it. Two days. Jesus. Tawana's representation was demanding a special prosecutor in her case as well. They didn't trust that there wasn't a cover-up happening. And then Officer Harry Christ Jr. died days later of a self-inflicted gunshot wound and was subsequently ID'd by Tawana as one of her attackers. Oh, the cop. 
Tawana and her representation refused to talk or cooperate with investigators. None of them trusted the special prosecutor uh, that was assigned to the case by the governor. They would communicate through press conference. So in one of these press conferences, Alton Maddox accused Dutchess County Assistant District Attorney Stephen Pagonis as one of Tawana's attackers as well and demanded his arrest. Investigators started to question Tawana's story and the lack of corroborating evidence. Okay, here is some of that. When taken to the hospital, there were no signs of hypothermia. She'd been kept in the woods for four days in late November in New York. So it would be safe to say that she would show signs of hypothermia. She had also eaten and recently brushed her teeth when she was brought in. Her pants were burnt, but her body wasn't. Her shoes were cut up, but it had clearly been done when she wasn't wearing them. Also, there were gloves found at the scene of the crime that had been used to cover her in feces. And inside the fingers were burnt cotton fibers. The same fibers were found under Tawana's fingernails, pointing to her being the one to have worn the gloves. The slurs on her body were written in the soot of the cotton fibers and written upside down. So uh, that could indicate that she was the one who had written them. Mm -hmm. In her rape kit, there was no evidence of sexual assault. Remember, she had said that she was uh, violently raped for four days by multiple people, there was just no trauma to her body. Friends from school testified that she had attended a party at the time of her alleged abduction. I mean, this continues to go on. On October 6, 1988, a grand jury released a 170-page report. They had heard from 180 witnesses, saw 250 exhibits, and saw over 6,000 pages of testimony. They ultimately concluded that Tawana Brawley's story was false. She was not abducted, held prisoner, and sexually assaulted over a four-day period. I'm not ever saying that fabricating a story is okay. Obviously, it's never okay because of the additional hurdles it can create for those, you know, just like they mm -hmm. mentioned up top the episode. It's never okay. But, 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 but what could possibly drive a 15 year old to put herself in the situation Tawana was in? You know, mm -hmm. not only does a 15 year old not understand the gravity of anything, she likely didn't understand the weight this would hold or be prepared for the nationwide attention. And I'm going to agree with a more recent interview with Reverend Al Sharpton. He was asked if he thought any crime had occurred. And he said, quote, whatever happened, you're dealing with a minor who was missing for four days. So it's clear that something wrong happened. Mm -hmm. That could mean a lot of things. That's a very broad statement. But think about your childhood when you were mm -hmm. 15, fucking around, getting in trouble. This is an extreme that I wouldn't have felt necessary when I was a kid. You know, mm -hmm. like, why did you feel yeah. this extreme was necessary? Grand jury testimony tells us that Tawana's mom, Glenda Brawley's punishment for running away, had been beating her in the past. To the next level of extreme, her mom's boyfriend, Ralph King, was extremely violent, violent to the point that he had once stabbed his first wife 14 times. Jeez. They had gotten back together and whatever after that. He ultimately ended up shooting and killing her. Oh my God. I don't know how he wasn't in prison at this time. Tawana's mom? No, no, no. His first oh, wife. Oh, his first, the first wife. Yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah, before Jeez. he was with Tawana's mom. Yeah. Tawana had been picked up for shoplifting prior to this incident that's causing all of the... Um, that's what she was in trouble for originally? That's what she had been in trouble for before. And at the police station, Ralph King, her stepdad attacked her and attempted to beat her before he was restrained. So all this, there's witnesses to all of this stuff. There were also witnesses testifying to King speaking about Tawana in a sexual manner. 
Okay. Mm. About six months after the events, Tawana's former boyfriend, Daryl Rodriguez, was interviewed by Newsday. He confirmed that Tawana, along with her mom, created the story to avoid a beating from Ralph King. Sociologist Jonathan Markovitz wrote about this case in his 2004 book, Legacies of Lynching, Racial Violence and Memory. He said, quote, it is reasonable to suggest that Brawley's fear and the kinds of suffering that she must have gone through must have been truly staggering if they were enough to force her to resort to cutting her hair, covering herself in feces and crawling into a garbage bag. Mm -hmm. Tawana's mom served prison time for contempt of court for refusing to testify in front of the grand jury. She was fined like $250 and spent a little time in jail. I want to say, I think it was like 30 days. I didn't put it down here, but Pagona sued everybody for defamation. He was the DA who, uh, remember, she had accused him of being one of her attackers. Mm-hmm. He won $345,000 from Sharpton, Maddox, and Mason, as well as being awarded $185,000 from Tawana Brawley. Officer Christ, who was, who was identified as being one of her attackers, who had died by suicide, days later, had actually left a note and the reasons in his note were different. Mm. He had no connection. He actually was alibied and everything. Mm. So Tawana's family eventually settled in Virginia Beach and she's currently working as a nurse in rural Virginia under the name Tawana Thompson. Mm. But she has always maintained that her story was true. Mm. Jeez. Yeah. That's fucking intense. Next week, we got season six, episode six, conscience this is a kid one tasha Mm. um a (laughs) young a young boy wanders away from a birthday party and is found dead i feel like i kind of remember this episode but i'm not sure and fun things are cool and cool cool and fun you know what's fun being cool cool and fun fun times i wouldn't know okay (laughs) i was gonna say never happened for me i've never had fun (laughs) i've never been cool or had any fun why am I here? That's my question every day. Okay. Uh, duh. You guys, rate and review us. I don't know. Email us at svupod at gmail.com. Anything you want to throw in the mail and send to us, send it to P.O. Box 176, DeForest, Wisconsin, 53532. And follow us on all social media, Instagram, TikTok, everywhere, at svupod. Go to our shop on our website and it'll link you right to our tea Public with all of our shit. Yeah. Join our Facebook group, SVU Pod Elite Squad. We've got a fucking chat group in that Facebook group called Walk and Talk. There's a book club called Single Tomato. There's just all kinds of shit going on over there. Hashtag little bit loud for indie pods. If you are an indie pod and you want people to be able to find you, use the hashtag little bit loud and join our Patreon. Yeah. And you can call and text us. We love getting your messages. Leave us questions, stories, comments, whatever at one nine two zero three four five. Seven zero zero five. That's one nine two zero <laughs> three four five seven zero zero five. <laughs> Love you. Bye. Love you. Bye. We're fighting for Pride Rock. <laughs> Long live the king. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Chili's baby back ribs. If I'm by myself, or if I think I'm by myself, I will sing that like I am a full gospel choir. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So here I am on National Donut Day, full house in it, like I'm <laughs> Stephanie Goddamn Tanner. <laughs>
We're best friends holding hands and dying in a frozen pit together. When they find our bodies, we're still going to be maintained. And we'll be holding hands. And they'll be like, oh, my God, these people were best friends because we have the technology to be able to suss that out. All right. They'll be like, oh, they were just roommates. <laughs> and to our Elite Squad patrons, Sonia W., Marissa M., Elkie H., Annie G., Mary D., Andrew, Rebecca D, Miranda B, Shelby W, Lex, Emily T, Kayla W, Mallory G, Benita R, Marin, Vanessa, Melanie G, Courtney W, Ursula S, Kate H, Ooh, Young, Kayla J, Catherine M, Kate P, Jessica S, Nicole M, Acacia V, Katerina G, Danielle W, Kelsey D, Jenna M, Joshua, Joshua, Joshua H. Joshua H, Tammy J, Brar, Crystal, stupid, Lucy, <laughs> Lucy M, Trisha S, Sam D, Mac Tech, Casey W, Abby W, Alexis J, Lauren T, Kaylin B, Camille Z, Nisha G, Maggie D, K Allen, ooh, oof, oh, K Allen, <laughs> Katie M, Eliza W, Crystal B. Jessica P, Zan and J, Nada M, Sin, Christina D, Madison H, Emily, oh holy night, it's almost Christmas time. So hey, I'm getting to the point where I, I'm getting like, so I had this like drama stuff happen recently. And when I get sad, right around this time of year, I'm like, John goes, are you okay today? And I'm like, don't come for me if you come home and our house is fully decorated for Christmas because I need something that brings me artificial joy. That's what it is. So, fuck you for being a dick about it. Um, Emily O, uh, Victoria B, Scout G, Melissa M, Desiree D, Drew B, Amberly C. It's crazy. I've seen so many people with the name Amberly lately. Really? Never heard it ever. And then her, yeah. Oh, geez, that you that was loud. That scared me. I always have to turn yeah. you up when I, it gets to. I'm like, oh, there's a pause. It's Gabe saying, like breathing it. Uh, okay, Monica K, Katie S, Trish S, Angela D, Brenna T, Andrea M, Natasha S, Andrea H, Miranda B, Al H, Nikki R, Aunt Sarah, Caitlin S. Emily D, Kate H, Lexi Y, Nikki R, Vern, and Jenna B. Thanks, you guys. Thank you. you so much. Thank you so much. You guys are great, and we think you're great. 